This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. We are not experts in any of the topics we discuss, so please enjoy accordingly. And as always, this episode will contain spoilers. And I'm Scooter, and welcome to Swap People. This episode, this episode, we are talking about a favorite TV show of ours called Misfits. We do love it. So this is, um, what, this is our December episode? This is the middle episode for December, right? Yes. So why don't you give us a little background on the conceit of the show, and then we can go forward from there. Uh, absolutely. So the show is basically five... Uh, young adult delinquents they're all adults they're over the they're over the age of 18 but they're all on community service and they're like nobody's over like 25 yeah they're young quote young offenders and uh, on their first day of community service there is a freak hail and lightning storm that gives everyone caught outside in it um i want to say superpowers but we come to find out that's not universally true it essentially gives everybody some kind of supernatural effect to them. Yeah, gift is a strong term that I don't think is applicable. But yeah, so there's a wide variety of things. Are So this is a British TV show. Before we really get going, I do want to give a quick warning. Um, this show does is from, do you remember what year uh, it started airing? How long did it run? I can look that up. I think it started airing um, around 2010. It was when I was in college. Yeah, so it is um, an older show. Uh, it's over 10 years old at this point. Uh, it has some dated humor that does not age well. It, started, uh-huh. it ran from 2009 to 2013. Yeah, so it's some of that humor is transphobic. Uh, in the way only the British do. Uh, I guess not only, but they do it most effectively. Uh, so there's some some transphobic humor in there. Um, there's some homophobic humor even, although they kind of let that go pretty quick. Uh, I think in general, none of these characters are meant to be considered good people, and it doesn't talk to the audience by kind of um, spoon feeding you that information, but they do use these people whose ethics or morals are not particularly great to make some of the more tasteless jokes. Yes. And I would add to sort of like temper that warning. I think this, this show has aged. Okay. There is, there's certainly some stuff that has not aged well, but I think overall it is still fairly watchable. And like, there are plenty of things that were probably considered tamer at the time that have yeah. aged worse. The humor in this show relies on shock value a lot. Yes. Um, and not to say it can't be clever. There are clever bits in it, but it, it is a shock value humor. Um, so you kind of want to be a little bit disgusted with the characters. Yeah. And everybody in it is sort of rude and crude and uncouth. And, you know, certainly that does not excuse 
everything, but like the overall vibe of the show still works. And I will say, you know, I'm, I, I'll say this, I'm fairly fat. They make a few fat jokes. I was never like extremely offended by any of those. I think, you know, any jokes about any sort of put upon group that you belong to, you're, you know, it's up to you what, uh, upsets you. But, uh, I would say generally, you know, we will, we're warning you up front that like, if you go into it, there's going to be a lot of kind of dark stuff in there. And there's stuff. a lot of, there's a lot of suicide. There's a lot of suicide. There's, there's kind a of, lot of violence. And it's not always, you know, fun violence. Like there's a lot of like, there's a lot of sexual assault, sexual assault and like domestic abuse and things like that. Like it is, they sort of inhabit this world or at least their corner of this world is like kind of a dark place where nobody's on their best behavior. Yeah. They, they really appeal to sort of the dirtbag chic that we kind of talked about where all of these characters are dirtbags and you are still expected to empathize with and like them, but also you can never forget their dirtbags. Yes, but I, I say all of that to say I don't think that like this is a show I would warn people off of. I would tell people up front, like, hey, this is what you're getting into, and that's what we're doing. But I think overall this show works, and I would stand, I would go to bat for the show. I agree. I think it does work. I just don't want any of our listeners to go through and say, I'm definitely going to watch this and then sit down and then somebody makes a joke that is just real off the wall or they see some violence or they see some sexual assault that because this is not like whenever you see it on American shows, they're pretty explicit with all of it. Um, We're probably going to cover some of the specifics of like some of the more intense violence and sexual content you'll see because they are parts of the plot we're going to want to talk about we're probably not going to repeat some of the more offensive jokes you will hear yeah even though like i don't necessarily find any of them like too awful they're not using slurs uh but they are they do make some some stuff that some comments that are not okay but i do think the the reason we should not be repeating them is because within the context of the show they are a little more palatable they are not palatable if you and i repeat them yes within the context of the show they're typically being said by a person who is wrong to be saying that yeah so it's not it adds no humor or comedic value to this or even intellectual value to this podcast if we repeat those jokes because you know it's not going to like we're not trying to use it for entertainment i agree so let's get into it uh we, you know i don't want to linger too long on making this show sound uh terrible to watch because i love the show you love the show it we're doing it a deeply funny show we're doing it as part of comfort christmas we tend to watch the show every year around christmas we did it a little early this year so that we could bring it to y'all can i make one more comment uh why don't you make the comment and then i'll decide if i'm gonna cut it out or not mm-hmm. or keep it in and double it so because this is a british show and it is common in some british shows especially these sort of like shows that appeal to teens about halfway through the series 
they switch out pretty much the entire cast. Uh, so just be aware that when we talk about this, we may talk about the original cast and then the next cast. Oh, I've got an outline. It's split into three sections based on the makeup of the cast. Yeah. Okay. Moving forward. So uh, we've already talked about some of the miscellaneous topics I had in mind. So, le- But let's start the conceit of the show. I already explained, you know, if they get caught in a lightning storm, it gives them some kind of supernatural effect. I'm going to sort of lay this out in the sense of there are, in my opinion, three tiers of thing that happens to you. Uh, the Your best case scenario is that you get some kind of superpower or ability that's based on the job you do. We're talking like in the later seasons, the electrician who has electrical powers. Yeah. Or like the lactose boy who gets the milk superpower. Blech. The milk superpower grosses me out. Yes, but there's no downside to it other than that people think it's lame. Yeah. The second tier of power is that you get some kind of useful power, which is a manifestation of your strongest character trait. Oh, yeah, that can go real bad or really well. I would say the first, the main cast for the first two seasons all have this power. And it's either in, and we'll introduce them in a second, but it's either something where like your biggest flaw essentially gets amplified to the point where it's supernatural but it can be of use or in the case of i think i would say curtis specifically he has a really really powerful power but he it is controlled by emotion like a specific emotion that he can't always conjure Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the third tier of power is that you are stricken with a truly terrible curse and we tend to see more of these in the later seasons, but like we never really see it other than Alicia. We don't really see this in any of the main characters. No, I don't think so. I don't think it. So, well, go ahead. Uh, it, it Alicia is the closest, but I think Alicia still falls into that second category where that's a character flaw that has been amplified to the point where it's curse like for her. That's true. Um, but I, I think the character, I think pretty much all of the initial powers that people get are reflective of character. And we can get into an argument about this, but I think it is pointless to get into that argument until we have introduced our cast of characters. Absolutely. Let's introduce them. Yes. Yeah, so everyone's initial powers, and we'll get into powers changing later, but like everyone's initial powers is based on the person. It has something to do with them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, our original five, there is Nathan Young. Nathan Young. He's played by Robert Sheehan. Young Robert Sheehan. Yes. Uh, he's great. He's an asshole. He is an asshole. His power, which... You don't find out until the last episode of the first season. Yes. The cliffhanger of the first season is the reveal of his power because he dies and is buried and then wakes up in his own coffin to discover that he is immortal and that's his superpower. Mm-hmm. And it's it's connected by something that's said in the very first episode, but that um, he is an asshole to everybody and then his mother makes an offhand comment about how nothing anyone says hurts him, but yeah. other people aren't like you. And so that's basically his whole deal is that like... 
He's just impervious. Yeah, he. It's, and we'll get into how his character ends up. But like, I, I find it incredulous that he uh, ever gave away that power. Uh, yeah, I just, I agree too. Next up, we have Simon, who oh, is Simon. played by Ewan Rayon, who most people, most people would know as Ramsey Bolden. He is just as creepy in this, and it is one of my favorites. He's one of my favorite characters. He actually learns his lesson and becomes a good person, now, but he starts off creepy. Oh, he starts off a weird little pervert. He is a weird little freak who uh, is shy and has trouble making friends. And he used to have a best friend who moved on from him because he was uncool. So his power is that he can become invisible. But he got on community service because he pissed in the letterbox because he tried to set this kid's house on fire. Saw the cat in the house, immediately felt remorse because the cat hadn't done anything wrong. So to put out the fire, he peed through the mail slot. It out. The kid's mom comes home, catches him. Yes. Do you want to introduce them all and then talk about them, or cover them as we introduce them? Uh, I think we can do this organically. Do we want to say what Nathan did, or Nathan? He claims that he was uh, done in for eating some pick and mix, but basically, he uh, pick and mix is like uh, in the United States. It's like if you go into those candy stores where you can just make, do a bag of candy that you. It's yeah, it's it's it, it's from the assorted. Yeah, it's essentially like a wide variety of stuff you maybe used to make like a trail mix. So it's like there's maybe like some nuts and stuff, but there's a bunch of different candies and things like that. He basically like shoplifts that, just eats it without paying for it, and then when he's confronted by the manager of a bowling alley, he puts up a truly absurd fight and then pesters this man so much that like he causes tons of damages and that's so that's what he gets done away for um next up is uh kelly okay played by a controversial actress lauren socha yeah uh we do not endorse lauren socha's actions yeah we'll get this out of the way right now i she has she's kind of out of the public eye. I guess she's like back on a major show now. It was hard to kind of find any recent news about her, but she left the show in 2011 or 2012 because uh, she was drunk in a taxi cab and made some very racially disparaging marks about her cab driver and punched him because she uh, believed he was driving the wrong way. And so, yeah. So, just a heads up. Uh, I love her character. I do not think we should. Um, well, I'm going to get this out of the way because I think we're going to acknowledge that certainly did a really terrible thing at the time. I don't know what kind of person she is in the long term. So we don't, we're not going to spend too much time praising her. He won a BAFTA for this show. Her, yeah, her performance is she really a truly good. wonderful performance as the character of Kelly, and I would say that she is like the emotional core of season three. She is. Um, we will we will get into her role, but we're just getting that out of the way. Yeah, from here on out, we'll mostly talk about these characters as characters, but we'll kind of get that out of the way because I don't think either of us want to dwell on that one. All right, so explain Kelly's character. Kelly is a chav um, who is 
sort of concerned with what other people think about her. So her power is that she can hear people's thoughts. Uh, it's sort of inconsistent about when she can or can't. And it's never really explained if she can control it or if it's involuntary. It certainly starts out as involuntary. Um, mm -hmm. But she is uh, she is in because she got in a fight with another girl over something dumb. I can't remember. She... <laughs> so... <laughs> It is funny because this is a plot point later on. Um, so the girl she gets into a fight with, uh, they don't really like each other, but she was trying to be nice. And so she said, oh, you you broke up with the girl's boyfriend. And she goes, he sucked anyways, or he was a prick. And and the girl, she and the girl get into a fight because the girl calls her a name. Turns out that boy is a prick and they do make up and it's kind of funny. They basically, all of these characters are kind of scumbags, and I think she is sort of in the chavier side of that kind of thing, and it sounds like it was basically just a dispute that was a little bit too public, and she ended up getting on community service for it, and in one of the episodes in season one, they both have to go to, like, counseling with each other to try to resolve the dispute. I would argue her character is probably, of the original cast, her and Curtis, who we'll get to, are the only ones who are, like, good people, like, verging on good people. They don't start out as bad people. Yeah, they don't start out as objectively bad. They're just kind of, like, I think Kelly's biggest crime is she was poor and got into She's it. got a bit of a temper. She's got a bit of a temper, but, like, if she had a bit of a temper and was upper class, it wouldn't have been an issue. Yes. Or even middle class. Um... All right, who's next? Next up is Alicia, who uh, she is uh, a party girl who kind of for a long time skates by on her looks and sexuality, and she gets community service. We find out all of them basically did this all on the same night, which is why mm -hmm. they all start community service together on the same day. But um, she basically... Uh, she drove drunk on her suspended license and then uh, tried to seduce the cop that arrested her. Yes, although we, we see in the, um, in the Curtis Bottle episode that that same night she also was uh, caught buying drugs from the same dealer as Curtis. Yeah. Um, so, but yes, she was arrested for a DUI. Her power is anyone she touches um, has to have sex with her. Like, they become completely overwhelmed and, like, will start saying their deepest desires and immediately trying to have sex with her, and they will not remember it after the fact. As soon as she stops touching them, they don't remember anything while they were touching her. And one of the quick ways we find this out is she touches Simon, and he tells her he wants to piss on her tits. Yes, which leads to the great Nathan line. That's something that should stay between you and your internet service provider. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about Nathan. Nathan is very funny, and he is utterly, utterly awful. He is so, terrible. It's very funny because he, he left the show before Simon was fully like the heroic Simon that he ends the show as, but... He basically starts out uh, on the more popular side of the group, 
largely by dumping on Simon, who they all find creepy. And as they all start to warm to Simon, he never treats Simon any better. So they all kind of start to think a little bit less of him. Yeah, like he calls Simon for the entirety of his time on the show, Barry. Well, he he calls him Barry started in the last episode of the first season because prior to that, he calls him weird kid or melon fucker. Which we have no confirmation that Simon ever fucks a melon. He just makes this story up saying, yeah, I bet you fucked a melon or something like that. I can't remember the the exact thing. But he makes up a story about Simon fucking a melon and then just refers to him as melon fucker for three seasons or two seasons. In the very first episode when they're all sharing how they got uh, in trouble, he the way uh, Nathan asks Simon is he goes, what about you, weird kid? Don't take this the wrong way, but you strike me as a panty sniffer. And then he starts making like lewd and he's starts making weird noises. And Simon snaps and says, I tried to burn a kid's house down. Uh, and then last but not least, I think I like Curtis more than a lot more than you do. Curtis is one of my favorites. I, I will explain why I don't like Curtis in the early seasons. I like his final season. Yes, he is. I think he's really great in season three and four. Um, Curtis is a sprinter who was on track to be an Olympian, but gets caught with a little bit of coke. Uh, yeah, and... but he is an athlete. He is black and he is high profile. So they make an example of him. Yes. And we sort of learn because so his power is that he can re- rewind time. At the end of the episode, Sonny has agreed to let me have uh, a little bit of a nerd soapbox where I complain about the logical fallacies of this. They're never consistent about how his power works. Every time it changes hands to a new person, it works entirely differently. But while Curtis has it, he can rewind his own timeline. But it's triggered by regret. It's triggered by regret. So if he doesn't feel bad about anything that happened, he can't do it. Which is objectively funny in certain scenes. Yes, which... (laughs) We find out when other people get this power. That's not how it works for everybody. He personally just can't utilize this very, very powerful power unless he is he it's powered by regret. My favorite thing that's ever, and I know we're gonna kind of like get into stuff, but my favorite thing that ever happens with his power or doesn't happen is there is this episode where we get we see this new kid who is like not this kid. eco-activist but he's just the most pretentious douchebag ever he even has like a long skinny like rat tail ponytail oh he's awful and just such a fucking douche and he gets murdered at point blank range just flat out and they're like rewind it rewind time save him save him and he goes i can't i can't because he doesn't feel bad that this kid is dead good lord that's so funny to me. It's just like he's such a prick. Can't. Oh, there's a few times it happens where like someone will ask him to reverse time, but he didn't see whatever it was that happened. My my favorite thing of that power is he has to try to break up with a girl, but every time he does, she cries and it makes him feel bad and rewinds to the start of the conversation. Yeah. And so he has to try to be increasingly mean because he needs to try to get her to not cry, otherwise he can't break up with her. It's very funny. Um, yeah, the way he succeeds is he uses a quote from Spider-Man that Nathan just rattled off to him and he hadn't seen Spider-Man so he didn't know. Yes. <laughs> like, 
did you break up with me using a line from Spider-Man? And she, like, loses her shit on him, and he finally succeeds in breaking up with her. So we find that he has his own episode where essentially he goes back to the night he got arrested uh, because he was made made an example of to be sent to community service, but his girlfriend, who was not famous, actually had to go to jail, and he feels bad about that. Well, she had most of the drugs. She yes. took them from him. Well, she bought the drugs for him and his friends, and then they were caught when she was basically handing it off to them. And so she went to jail, and he got community service. So he rewinds time back to that night to try to get her in trouble. And that's how we sort of find out what happened with everybody. Get her out of trouble, not in trouble. Get her out of trouble. You're right, yes. Get her out of trouble. Um, which is an episode you don't like, but I really love. I don't enjoy that episode. There are a few episodes I don't enjoy. I won't watch the White Rabbit episode either. I love that episode. It scares the piss out of me. The funniest part about that episode is there's a girl whose power is if she asks you how many people... I can't really remember if it's a girl or a guy. If he asks, if they ask how many people you have slept with, no matter what you answer, the real number appears on your forehead. And while... I can't remember if it's a guy or a girl. There's a couple fighting outside, and someone asks it while the main cast is walking past them. So they all have to spend the rest of the night with their number on their head, mm-hmm. and they only know what the number means because Rudy keeps a count, and he and it's not, it's at ninety nine, and he's making a big deal out of whoever is number one hundred has to be really special, and that's how he ends up with the nun. Yeah, anyway. this is in the later cast, but we'll get into Rudy. Rudy is also Rudy's I mean, probably my favorite. I think you and I agree that Rudy is the best. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, those are the original five. Uh, in the, we're not going to go episode by episode, but here's the arc of the first season. In the first episode, they all get those effects, and their probation worker, who has a short temper he basically is like a terrible version of like the incredible hulk where like if he gets too angry he gets into a berserk mode and can't control himself and gets violent he attacks them he actually they actually have a sixth person who's in he's in game of thrones too but i can't remember he's like one of the he's like no he's like one of the, the the side characters you barely see him He's he's one of the kids from the wall. He, yeah. He's 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 one of the recruits that signs up at the wall at the same time as Jon Snow. I, oh yeah, he's, he's not Dolores Ed. He's the other one. Pip. Pip. I believe it's Pip. Yeah, he's Pip. Um, it's the two that kind of make it with them through the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't make it past the first episode in Misfits. Except for when they have the no uh, the Nazi episode. Oh, the Nazi episode. Yeah, we'll get back to that, but. But he's he also dies unceremoniously in that one too. But it's he he is kind of separate from the group and wanders off on his own and the probation worker murders him with an axe. Yeah, in the bathroom. And then the next day, the probation worker attacks Kelly. They all sort of start to discover their powers and how they work. The probation worker attacks them right after they find this other kid's body who he was murdered, and they kill their probation worker. But because no one's going to believe them about all the superpowers in the storm, and they're a bunch of young offenders who murder their probation worker, they decide to bury the body. The probation worker who's sent to replace him, little do they know, is that the first probation worker's fiance, and she suspects them of foul play. So mm-hmm. 
She is secretly trying to investigate them while working as their probation worker, and this ultimately leads to her catfishing Simon, who, when the confrontation happens, she again does not believe them about their powers, and when she tries to fight Simon, she accidentally hits her head on a door and dies. No, she gets impaled. But it's on the handle of a door. Yeah, it is on a door. Um, this becomes a theme. They kill a lot of probation workers. Oh, it's a running bit, which, funnily enough, their final probation worker, when he shows up, they talk about not really liking him, and Rudy goes, eh, don't worry about it, he'll probably be dead by midweek, and then that guy lasts two seasons, and is still alive at the end of the show. Yeah, so, just kind of catching up on this, um, the course of this show covers, what, one year, for the most part? Except for the last, last episode of the whole series. This show covers one year. How many probation workers do they go through? They've got those two. The next one dies like almost immediately. Yes. No. The no, next, the next one, sh- one. Oh, the next one's the like fuck boy haircut guy. It's Sean who lasts a very long time. Yeah, and then the one immediately after him dies in one episode. Dies basically before she has a chance to speak. She introduces herself. I'm the new probation worker. Gets bitten by a zombie. Yeah, we'll get into the zombies because that's a fucking amazing episode. And then um, after her, it's is it our last and favorite, or is there one more in there? It would be the last and favorite. Yeah, so there's yeah five. So there are two that stick around for like more than one season, and then the rest they just <laughs> they go through a a probation worker a season essentially. On average, yeah, it's. Oh, I think the last one's the only one to survive. I believe the, so. It's and this is gonna. I'm. I kind of want to get into this now. I think the point of view of the show, not the moral, but and this feeds into the probation workers and who lives and who dies is. And I sort of agree. I would go out on a limb and say I don't fully agree with this, but I think I sort of agree with this because I think this is taking a very harsh nihilistic view of the world. Um. The people who die in this, and lots of people die, truly bad people, people who try to be heroes, Mm -hmm. those people don't make it. The people who last and who do well are people who are not trying to be a hero, but are trying to survive and trying to be a good person. And I think the sort of moral of the show, if you want to call it that, is that the best way to get through life is to... Watch out for your friends. Try and be a good person, but don't try to be a hero. Yeah. I would say, yeah, that's a perspective. Of, if they don't like really enjoy heroes, but they also don't like, um, they don't like bad people. And I think that is, and you and I have talked about this. I feel like this is an intellectual companion to the boys. If you've seen the boys, um, you probably get what I'm saying. Uh, if you haven't seen The Boys, The Boys is about superheroes that are actually awful people. And this is sort of in that vein of these are average people who, who don't really want to be heroes and they're kind of like kind of dirtbags. They're not really great people um, getting these superpowers. And I think making it a story about those kind of people getting superpowers is is kind of intrinsically connected to that worldview. Does that make sense? Okay. Of of you just yeah. 
Yeah, I just I think if you look at because most episodes, the general formula is they're trying to get by doing their community service. Some jackalope shows up who also has something from the storm, either it be like a curse, a power, a weird effect, and that person is either uh, someone who is hilariously a good person, like the hippie kid, or is like a really awful person, like a satanic scout leader. Yeah. And then that person dies or is killed by another person who also has a weird effect. And then they eventually have to kill or get rid of that person. So lots of people die, but it's like if you show up and you're a villain, you're probably going to die. If you show up and you're like, I'm going to save the world, you're probably going to die. Yeah. And then there's also a lot of bystanders who die in the process. But Yeah, this is a really vibe show, but I, I really love it. So that's, I think, yes, uh, Na- yeah, uh, Nathan dies and then wakes up in his own coffin and is immortal. And then the second season is more kind of they're established as a group and it flows. And then, But that season ends with they find a guy who can take and give people's powers, but he can't use them himself. So he's sort of like a broker or a dealer. They all have finished their community service, so they sell off their powers in order to make money, and then terrible things happen, and they realize that, like, they need their powers. Like, they live in this world now where their power, having their powers is important to them, so they go and get new ones. We want to discuss what happens in that season? Yeah, we can do that. Did you have another format? Um, I mean, it's not in a particular order. We'll, we get to the other stuff. So that season is interesting to me because it, that's when Simon and Alicia start to get together. They're a very unlikely couple. But we start to see Simon's stuff there. Yeah? That's season two. I just binge-watched. I'm trying to think. Season two is when it starts. Season three is when Simon and Alicia end their time on the show. I don't think they get to. I don't think Simon and Alicia from the same timeline get together till season three. No, they don't. But we start getting into Simon's plotline, and that drives this. That's the central plotline plot for the season. So, yeah, the overarching plot of season two is kind of. A, I think he's introduced at the end of season one, but he's a bigger part of season two. There's a mysterious man in a mask who shows up and starts helping them at uh, their most dire moments and giving them hints as to what they need to do next. And we come to find out that that is Simon from the future. And Simon from the future uh, and Alicia... Alicia fall, I would say Alicia falls for Simon in the future and Simon in the future tells her up front, we fall in love. They're all trying to figure out who it is. Alicia eventually figures out... She follows him, finds out it's Simon from the future... And one of the things he tells her is, in the future, you fall in love with me. Mm-hmm. And he can touch her. At the, he can, yes. At that point, no one else can touch her. And she's actually dating Curtis at this time. But Curtis is, they're, they're falling apart at that point. Yeah, because they can't really touch each other because she doesn't like her power. And I think that's a nice thing about her is that she realizes yeah. her power is 
terrible to do to people. Yeah, she does. She does rape some people before she figures it out. But as she, because she goes out that night at the club and just starts touching people, and then uh, she uses it on Curtis and also on some charity worker from Africa who who's sending stuff to Africa. Yes. Um, and I think she has that one episode where she goes through all of that and they all kind of like, she, she figures out she really doesn't want to use her power ever. Yes. I, let's go, let's do a quick aside about that right now. Cause I think that's actually a really great thing where it's sort of a flip where, you know, in the real world, it's usually guys who do this to girls, but she is not intending to rape them but she assumes that they all want to have sex with her anyway and she doesn't really fully understand the consent of the thing until curtis explains it to her Mm -hmm. and how it feels to be on the other side of her power yeah i think i well and i think she also is she's stuck in this situation where she is both a person who would be assaulting people and also a victim of assault because if somebody touches her without her consent the, the same thing happens like they still want to have sex with her and they will try and force it um but i think it is interesting in terms of like this is this is sunny's feminism corner um i think it's interesting that they have elected to make the person who does this a woman and the reason I think that is the same reason I think Alien is so scary to cis men. And it's, it forces you to be in the, pers- it forces men to be in the perspective of a woman who is afraid of being assaulted. Yes. It forces that. Um, you have to empathize with that because what you're seeing on screen is she's not assaulting women. She's assaulting men. And she might be a victim too, but sometimes she has her own agency and they have no say in it. And I I think often in media, we do not see men in positions as victims, particularly victims of sex crimes, unless they are, um, unfortunately, like, unless they are children. We don't see men and boys in those positions. Um, And I think this was a subversion of how we typically view sexual assault in media and i think it is kind of powerful yes and i will say this to credit to the male actors who do these scenes and the directing that's happening here they never make it look like a fun experience no it always looks uncomfortable it always painful and well in particular it turn it kind of turns them into animals like they say things that they wouldn't normally say out loud they sort of air their darkest desires that they wouldn't normally share their veins turn colors and i think that like is a a, i think that's an interesting choice because it's a visual way of communicating that they are no longer themselves they are no longer capable of consenting Mm -hmm. because they essentially mind wash them yes brainwash Yes, but it's not an instance of like her power is not the power of seduction. Her power is like she does not believe that she is seducing all these people. She assumes that all men want to have sex with her anyway. That and that's how her power manifests. Yeah. It is not like 
they are seduced by her touch. It is she touches them and it activates this idea that like they inherently want to fuck her. Yeah, and they cannot control themselves around her. Yes, and it is always uh, unpleasant and gross, and it, they do a very good job of like, you know, there's a bad way you could do that. Where like she's an attractive girl, and you know she touches a guy, and all of a sudden they want to have sex, and like there's a way you could film that that like it, it would not seem off-putting, and I I'm glad they don't do that. Yeah, it is very off-putting. I will say that about pretty much all the sexual violence in this show, none of it is is depicted as hot. Like it's. Well, with one exception. With one exception, yes. We'll talk about that later. Oh, I was about to make a joke. Which one are you talking about? Rudy 3. Okay. Well, that he doesn't ever do a sexual violence. No, but it, there's some sexual overtones to his violence. A little bit. I think... I think there's one. I think there are sexual overtones to his virus because... To his... Uh, Violence because you were sexually attracted to Rudy Three. Yeah. Not because it's meant to, uh, he. He is. He is. He is seducing her at the time. We will get into this because I have her, thoughts not... on sexual sadism versus other forms of sadism, and also Joseph uh, Joseph Gilgun's uh, truly stunning ability to be both creepy and sexy at the same time he he has the it's i think it's a sort of a wonderful thing whenever an actor can do multiple characters in the same thing and it's always really great like tatiana maslani and orphan black but um we have gotten very off track no i was going to make a joke about in the final episode when uh alex rides the man flying through the sky while he fucks him in the ass and then they both plummet to the earth <laughs> We're going to get to Alex. We're going to get to Alex. We're, we're Alex is, I hate to say this, like, I know I'm a sexual assault survivor before I say this. This was the funniest. It, he never, ever wants to rape anybody. And I don't think he ever approaches it from that perspective. He's horrified by this. It is very funny when Rudy first tries to coin the superhero name for him, the Raper. God, we need to. Okay, we have to get to this later. We're still on season one and two. So, season two, future Simon can touch Alicia. She's kind of touch starved at this point because her and her, her and Curtis's relationship is falling apart because, you know, they want to have like a normal relationship and they can't do that with each other. So, Simon tells. Her future Simon tells Alicia, you're going to fall for this Simon. She tries. It's too awkward. She doesn't like it. So she falls for future Simon instead. They have just an artfully filmed sex scene. Yes. And we're going to, I think we're going to use this to maybe transition a little bit to season three, but I don't want to go fully there yet because I have some stuff we're going to do here. Um, So in the arc of this season... Basically, future Simon is protecting the group and taking care of Alicia, and it ends with him sacrificing himself and dying. Mm -hmm. uh, It's an episode where a man feels like he's stuck in a video game. It's like a knockoff of Grand Theft Auto, and so he's acting this out. So then only that man shows up again. Yes. Oh, that guy's life is tragic. He 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 falls into that category three of, like, he has just simply been cursed. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, there's no power or anything to it. He just believes he's stuck in a video game and he has, he has to, act to act it out. out. 
oh, that poor bastard. But uh, in that episode, because Nathan is running his mouth, Simon gets identified as the man that he has to kill. And so order to save... Conti, which is funny because... Because Nathan hears it as Cunty, and he says, oh, this one's a right proper Cunty. And because of that, he's like, oh, Simon, that's Conti, and goes after him. Future Simon sacrifices himself to save past Simon. No, to save Alicia. Yes, but because he, he knows that once Simon dies, then Conti dies, the guy will move on. But it saves both of them, I suppose. Yeah, this is the... this. This always makes me cry. The Simon and Alicia story arc makes me cry every time. We will cover, I think, the full arc when we get to season three. There's stuff in the first two seasons we still need to get to. Oh, sorry. There's, this is the most content we've ever covered on a single episode, and I don't think you or I want to be here four hours. No. So let me go quickly, because since we have explained how the powers work and the various kinds of powers you get, I have to ask... What power would what power do you think what power would you want? Like of the powers that could come to you, what power would you want, but what power do you think you'd get if they're different? I don't think it would reveal too much about my job whereas if I got a power related to the thing I do for a living, I would probably be able to do like mathematical calculations in my head without a calculator. The power I'd want is you know what, we've had this conversation, I think uh, I would just want to be able to attract, keep, and safely keep infinite wealth. Oh, yeah. That's what I want. It's, that's the world I live in. I want to just do things with vast amounts of money that better the world. I love with you. I, I love with you. I love you. I've lived with you for a decade now. There's no part of your personality that would manifest that power if you are caught in that storm, baby. I love you. I know. I know that, but you asked what I would want. <laughs> okay, here's here's what I would say with the the good. What do you think the I would good get? the good power? Like if you were going to get like the primo power for your personality, you would be able to instantly absorb knowledge by simply accessing the source of it. So like you could pick up a book and know everything that's in the book, or you could find something online and be able to essentially download information into your brain. Yeah, I probably could like, do that. Like in the Matrix, with put the little, they have the little like uh, disc things of like, oh, this is Muay Thai or whatever, and then all of a sudden he knows he knows all the martial arts because they're just downloading it into him. All right, so um, we just cut out like a chunk, but um, the thing that Sunny asked me to cut out, but I'm gonna put up here is um, she was, I don't know, I didn't have a good joke for that. Anyway, so w- what's the power you think you'd get stuck with though? I have no idea. Probably, like, something... I'm fairly... I can't believe I'm admitting this. I'm like, I'm fairly insecure, so probably insecurity-related. Like, Kelly, Kelly is... Her her power is insecurity-related because she's insecure and thinks people are judging her. Um, I don't know if I would get one like hers, but, like, I could see something in that vein. Um... Just because, I don't know, I got real bad imposter syndrome. I would have either. Wait, why don't you tell me what you think I would have? What I think you would have? Yeah, if I was cursed. If you were cursed? Is this going to hurt our feelings? Find out soon. <laughs> um, 
That's tough. That's a tough one. <laughs> it would have to. It would have to. It'd have to be something to do with your neurodivergencies. It would be something like you would have. You'd be like the Incredible Hulk, but like you would Hulk out and become super productive, and then you would just crash and sleep for like fourteen hours. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. What do you think you would get with the Oliver's? I think I'd have one of two things. I'd either have the power that Paul Rubens has in Mystery Men, where he had he'd use farts as a weapon. Damn it! That's what I was going to assign you. Or I'd have uh, I'd have the power that Matter Eater Lad has, where I could just eat anything. That would be a fun power. Yeah. Uh, to quote uh, Peacemaker. Peacemaker, yes. To quote Peacemaker, I once saw Matter Eater Lad eat a Wendy's. Not Wendy's. He ate a Wendy's, like the whole building. It's <laughs> amazing. What do you think I'd have? Oh, I thought it would be fart related. Okay, fair enough. All right, my last thing. So we're going to, I think. Rather than do this for the whole series, we're going we're gonna to split it in three sections. So from season one and two, what are your favorite uh, storylines? And I say that storylines, not just episodes, because I'm going to give an example here. A storyline we both really like is the Rudy Three. But I wouldn't necessarily pick that as a favorite episode, because that's the same episode as the Finn stepmom thing, which sucks. Um, so I guess my favorite story arc is the... Oh, like my favorite, one of my favorite episodes is the tattoo episode from these first two seasons. Tattoo episode is so good. The tattoo episode is so good. So the what happens there is Kelly's tattoo artist is uh, gets the power to like just put a tattoo on somebody's body. He doesn't have to like draw it on. He can just make it appear, and that tattoo will influence their actions. So t- Kelly goes to get her tattoo touched up. And Nathan's running his fucking mouth like he's always doing. Um, and he pisses off the tattoo artist. The tattoo artist gives him that with, he gives him a, a tattoo with the, a heart with Simon's name in the middle. And so Nathan, who has spent at this point almost two seasons bullying Simon, uh, then immediately falls deeply in love with him. And spends the whole episode awkwardly and passionately trying to seduce him. It could be so bad with like the gay panic, but he has so many incredible lines. Yeah, it doesn't come off like you would think the premise sounds homophobic, but it doesn't come off homophobic because it's so fucking funny. When he says, uh, we can slow it down and just do cuddling. And maybe when you're ready, a little bit of dry humping <laughs> or when Kelly is confronting him about it. And he says, Simon has, um, those beautiful black eyes, like a handsome shark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like he is sexualizing Simon, but he's doing it in the most romantic way possible while also being completely absurd. And when Kelly asks if he's gay, he says, uh, gay, straight. I don't remember the rest. 
It starts I'm, gay. Straight. I'm I'm going to use a word I don't particularly like to use, but he says gay, straight, retarded. Why do we have to put any labels on anything? Yeah. Oh, we promised we wouldn't uh, repeat one of those jokes. Yeah, I, it's it's yeah. Um. So yeah, that's a good one. Do you have any others that are? That's my favorite. I think just given the length and the volume of what we are doing. I can stick to one. Fair enough. My, I will give a very brief shout out. The episode with the uh, conservative Christian who can brainwash everyone else to be conservative Christian is a good one. But I think my favorite plot arc is Kelly falls in love with a man. Oh no, I forgot about him. The thing she loves about him is he says exactly what he thinks. She will often hear him say things in his mind and then when she asks what he's thinking he will just say it outright and so it'll be like she'll just be like oh why are you staring at me and he'll be like oh because i just think you're beautiful and then she'll read his mind and he'll be like she's just so beautiful i just want to spend time with her and so he's she's just like he's the only person i've ever met who says and thinks the exact same things there's no guile about him and then she finds out he's the entire time he's being chased by what she thinks is the police and he's squatting he's squatting it's it's, she just thinks that he's just kind of like an idiot who got in a bar fight come to find out he was a gorilla at the zoo who during the storm wished to be a man and was turned into a human man so that he could find love and when he gets caught when he the guy chasing him finally catches up to him he's i guess like animal control or something and so the cops shoot him and he turns back into a gorilla at this and, point, they have had sex. They've had sex multiple times. And he dies in Kelly's arms and transforms back into a gorilla. And it's... Uh, oh, and she's dressed in, like, a, a dress reminiscent of, like, King Kong and... Uh, what was her name? I don't remember. So, like, they shoot him on top of a building. It, it's King Kong. Yeah, basically. Because he's dressed as a gorilla for the fancy dress party. Like that episode, not the full episode, but that scene ends with her like crying over this giant gorilla's body while dressed in a sequin nightgown or evening gown, not nightgown. Two different things. I am realizing there's so much that we're not going to be able to cover. I'm going to like, I'm not going to go into any details, but I'm just going to list a bunch of crazy things. They have, uh, they get famous. It goes terrible. A man who can control milk murders all of them with the cheese in their body, and they have to rewind time to fix it. Uh, they have uh, the conservative Christian episode where Nathan gets thrown off a building and dies and wakes up in his own coffin. They have uh, the shapeshifter that uh, causes all kinds of sexual distress between everybody. Yeah. She wearing Alicia's body suck simon's dick while alicia's dating curtis and it all gets angry okay season three so at the end of season two they all sell their powers and when they realize they need them back uh seth the power dealer says all of their powers have been sold they can pick from what's left so uh a couple things happen uh nathan picks the power to uh distort reality and he tries to use this to cheat at games in las vegas and ends up in jail in america he leaves the show he is replaced by a new character named rudy 
Rudy is a delightful little scamp. He's our favorite character. I think he's played by the inimitable Joseph Gilgoon. So good. He's Scottish. He's tattooed. He's a weirdo. He is a dirtbag, but with a softer heart than Nathan. Yeah, he's he's a weird, weird character. But I really like him, and I think I think this role for Joseph Gilgoon is just a fantastic way to showcase how talented he is. And he really, really is talented. Yes. I love him as an actor. Yeah. Uh, so Rudy is, um, you know, I don't think we ever find out what he did to go to community service, do we? No, but we do find out why he's not allowed back at his gym. Shitting in Lycra. That's what he said. Uh, so Rudy is new on community service, and uh, he... His power is that he is uh, the. He's basically split into three clones. We only really focus on two of them. The third one only shows up for one episode. Um, The way that Rudy Two, who is the split off one, describes it, is that he is the manifestation of a split personality. But not in the sense of like. A dissociative identity or multiple personalities or something like that. More just Rudy 2 is like It's like the angel and devil on your shoulder uh, except it's split into three. It's conflicting parts of his personality that he struggles with. It's not It's not like DID. Yes, it's so Rudy 2 is basically a manifestation of like it's not just like a good Rudy and a bad Rudy, although one of them is more considerate and kind than the other. That's Rudy too, but it's Rudy too is essentially a manifestation of like Rudy's insecurity and not fully insecurity, but he's like, he's more open about Rudy's feelings. Uh, he, he's a bit meek. He's a bit meek. He's more worried about what other people think of him. He's, like, in the ways that Rudy, in the back of his mind, would overthink things, all of that is in Rudy 2 now. And so Rudy 2 tends to overanalyze things, but they are they are now separate entities. And they, Rudy 2 will pop in and out of Rudy's body every once in a while. And they kind of live separate lives, but for most of the run of the show, they, you know, reabsorb pretty regularly. Yeah. Like Rudy one is like the prick version of Rudy. He is um, inappropriate uh, on multiple levels. Uh, he's most likely to do something despicable, uh, but most of it is in like this dirtbaggy kind of shitty way. Rudy three doesn't actually show up in season three. He shows up in season four. Yes, and he is the, all of the like. He's basically like Rudy's most intrusive thoughts turn manifest. Yeah, all the dark things. And this is why Scooter was talking about... uh, Well, we'll get into his because the Rudy 3 episode is going to be on our favorite list. We're going to discuss that episode. But Rudy 3 is sinister and evil. Uh, Okay. Uh, So... Rudy's introduced, he essentially replaces Nathan in this uh, 
grouping. Uh, in addition to that, uh, Kelly sort of strikes up a relationship with uh, Seth, the power broker. There's not an overarching plot to season three. There's a lot of very individually really good episodes. I think you and I talked about it. After seeing all the seasons, do you still think season three is your favorite? Yes. I agree. Um, it has all the parts of the old cast that I liked with all the parts of the new cast. Yes. I really like Nathan. Mm-hmm. Um, Rudy is so good that the show doesn't miss a beat by changing those two. Yeah, it, it doesn't. And Rudy, I think Robert Sheehan is a fantastic actor. I really enjoy his performances. I think Nathan is a little bit of an underdeveloped character. He's a shallow character through and through. And part of that is by design, but part of it is uh, you never really know Nathan, even though Nathan's, you know, probably the most charismatic member of the first grouping. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rudy is complex and complicated and interesting. And Joseph Gilgoon managing to play what is essentially two characters on screen, uh, sometimes three, and you automatically know which one's which. Joseph Kogun does do a really great job at that, but part of what works about telling the two apart is that is the body language, mm-hmm. and Rudy Two's body is played by a different actor. Is it? Yeah. There is a body double in the scenes. Whenever they're both on screen at the same time, there is a body double playing Rudy Two, and then they superimpose Joseph Kogun's face on him. Now, granted, in scenes where Rudy Two is alone he's doing that by himself so he is playing both characters but often you'll see them standing next to each other and you can tell which one is which by how they're standing and that's a body double yeah but i would say even it's pretty easy to tell um which one's which when he's alone on screen yes i agree okay um so favorite episode of season three can we get to that part I have mine locked in London. Uh, well, quickly, that ends with uh, some ghosts from the first season being resurrected by a medium, uh, one of whom kills Alicia, and that prompts Simon to go back into the past to trigger that whole thing. And so the plot line of Simon and Alicia is essentially a time loop of their love where where future Simon goes back in order to make Alicia fall in love with him so that she will fall in love, so that after he dies, she'll fall in love with the other Simon, turn him into the man he is to make him be ready to go back in time and be that person for Alicia who needs him back then. And it's kind of a very beautiful little closed loop. Yeah, it is. Um, And they both grow and become characters who are self-sacrificing and i think that they're not like perfect characters they're not good people fully but they are heroic and i think they get rewarded for that balance and that they are in this time loop um where the entire thing is just the two of them over the course of a few months falling in love yes it's 
Especially knowing now that the whole series takes place over a year and that their time loop is must be such a small period of time. Mm-hmm. It's it's tragic but lovely. That that time loop closes and it makes me cry every time. Yeah, it's it's well, especially it's especially you know at this point it's the end of season three. It's been a while since we've seen Nathan. We've just watched Alicia die. Everything has really changed, and that season ends with. Simon going back and you see the first moment he's back way back in the first season and you see him kind of like living in the, and he had previously said a future Simon when he's talking to Alicia had said that picking up litter was the best time of his life and it's uh, it's very sweet it's sort of heartachingly sweet all right favorite plot from season three it's a good call very briefly, uh, Curtis's old power gets sold to a Jewish man who survived. He did not survive the Holocaust. I believe that he said he like got forged papers and was adopted by a family mm-hmm. before the Holocaust could happen. He will get to my soapbox. I mean, he survived the Holocaust, but like he wasn't in a camp. Yes, yes, mean. that's what I. That is what I mean. Yes. Um, he tries to go back in time to kill Hitler. He fails spectacularly and in the process drops his cell phone. And so when he gets zipped back through to the future, the Nazis use his cell phone to advance their technology so much that they won World War II. And so when he returns to Britain, it is occupied by the Nazis. Something that I think is sort of funny and it's kind of an indictment of the character because the the third probation worker who lasts quite a while is he's very entertaining he's just, very entertaining he's, he does not give a shit yes he's mostly like a, a a shithead who doesn't care and it's just like getting on by but i think it is kind of telling that in a world in which the nazis take over he would be a low level like nazi bureaucrat mm-hmm. and he is malevolent he is not just uncaring like yeah he is Yes, and so it's. I think it sort of informs the character the rest of the time where, like, he is a little bit malevolent. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's sadistic. Up to and including in the first episode with Rudy, he uh, he pays for his morning coffee with the donation money for the blind charity box. <laughs> There's a coin drop for people to donate money to the blind, and every day he opens it up and pays for his coffee with it. Um so, yes, the Nazi episode is great. This is Kelly's best episode. Because um, this is just a Kelly story. Kelly is the main character of it, for sure, yeah. Because everybody else dies. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, like, all the other characters die. So she she's given the power to go back, right? Yes. Yeah, because Seth dies. And once she gets back, she finds Seth, and then he puts the time travel power in an iguana that gets eaten by a zombie. Mm. Um, it's it's one of several times that uh, uh, everybody dies, but either someone rewinds time and changes it, or it happens as part of a flash forward to the future that gets yes. fixed. Because there's the the Nazi episode, the Big Cheese episode, and then the final episode mm-hmm. where that happens. But um, my favorite from this is the zombie episode. Yeah, the zombies a close second. 
So the another good episode, Curtis's power in season three is that he can change his sex. He has like a girl version of himself that he calls Mel. Mm-hmm. And he changes to a girl to compete at sprinting again. Anyway, he gets so obsessed with the female orgasm that he constantly switches between jerking off as a guy and jerking off as a girl. And he uses the same tissues to clean up and impregnates himself. And because he's pregnant, it gets him stuck in the girl body. So in order to fix it, he has to have his power taken away by Seth. And Seth will do it on one condition. He gives Curtis the power to bring back the dead. And Curtis has to use it to bring back Seth's dead girlfriend. They find out after the fact that it doesn't bring them back to life. It essentially makes them a zombie. So they bring back the girlfriend. She's kind of slowly going mad from the hunger and the next day curtis feeling bad brings back some old lady's cat and the cat starts attacking people and they capture it bring it to the community center because none of them have the heart to kill the cat they all take turns holding they killed multiple uh probation workers at this point (laughs) yes and they killed the old lady and they killed the old lady. They can't kill the cat. <laughs> yes, they all take turns holding a hammer over its head and then failing to be able to deliver the killing blow. And they leave the cat unattended. It escapes and effect, infects an entire squad of cheerleaders. Are there even cheerleaders? Listeners, write in. SwatPeoplePodcast at gmail.com Let us know. Are there cheerleaders in the UK? So... Oh. They basically lock everybody into the community center and they have to kill all the cheerleaders before a zombie outbreak starts. Oh, you know, with baseball bats, too. With, yeah. In the process, the fourth probation worker shows up, is immediately bitten, and they'll have to draw straws for who has to kill them. And it's it's Rudy. And he has a really great line because he's sitting there <laughs> chewing on the short straw that he drew. And he's holding a baseball bat as she wakes up. And he just looks at her and just goes, I just want you to know. We didn't ask for this. We're not bad kids. And then just lifts the baseball bat and murders her. It's uh, it's really good. It's a great episode. It's pretty funny. And they're all so proud of themselves at the end because they actually saved the world for once. No thought to the fact that like their proba- their newest pro- they've killed now a fourth probation worker. And an entire squad of cheerleaders, an old lady, Seth's girlfriend, and and a cat. And Seth's neighbor, who the girlfriend infected. Yeah. And she killed his iguana. He did kill his iguana. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's season three. Now we're going to move on to... Uh, so we covered Simon and Alicia leaving the show. Uh, in between season three and four was when Lauren Socha had her racist attack on a cab driver. So she, her character was not in season four. It was exp- and she's written off. Yeah. She's written off. It was explained. Her and Seth got together, and while traveling in Uganda, she her her new power that she got is that she could. She was a rocket scientist. She knew everything about rocket science. Um, she uses that knowledge to disarm uh, old landmines in Uganda, and so Seth is around for two episodes and then leaves to go join her. But um, to start, we're introduced with two new misfits, if you will. Uh, Jess and Jess and Finn. Jess, who is great, she uh, sees through people's bullshit, and so she has the power of X-ray vision. 
and Finn, who is a weak little douchebag, so he has telekinesis, but he can only he he very much struggles to use it until we find out in the future he eventually does master it. But Finn is a uh, annoying. He's not terrible from a moral standpoint, although he's not great. Uh, and he gets better, but he never gets all that likable. He's a spineless little weasel. I agree. Oh, I just, he's just, he's that kind of guy. He's a nice guy. He wants everybody to think he's a nice guy. And um, he's not. He, he's really not. He is cowardly. He is petty. He's whiny. You really don't like him. What's weird is the writing on the show sort of does him dirty. There's the episode where he um, has the brief relationship with the hacker girl. Mm-hmm. And it ends on a really high note for him where he helps her find the courage to leave her apartment. And he stands up to Alex, the handsome barman. And it's like really nice. And then the very next, that girl never shows up again. And despite the fact that like they leave it at, he's going to be there for her and he's going to date her. The very next episode, he's pretending to have cancer so that he can sleep with girls. Like, yeah, I don't know if those were written out of order or what, but, um, I would say the redeeming quality for Finn is that Finn and Rudy's relationship is genuinely very cute. Yeah. But that's being carried by Rudy. I agree. It's a lot of Rudy trying to take care of Finn and Finn. uh, Rudy's shit at it and Finn's. Rudy is terrible at it, but Finn is also not helping. No. So you want to do the arc and the, the overarching plot line for this season and then we'll go into our favorite episodes uh well there's two other new cast members we have to talk about first oh handsome barman handsome barman who is a co-worker of curtis's at the bar mm-hmm. and he starts out with uh he does not have a penis because uh yeah he has a vagina um a trans man who has the power to ch- swap genitals with people has stolen his penis and so he's trying to find this person and get it back, which he eventually does. Um, but when he get when he gets it back, it turns out that he's actually kind of like a vain prick, and like uh, has kind of a terrible relationship with like his own vanity and like women and stuff. And he learns to get better. He actually has very good growth as a character. I really like Alex as the show goes on. Yeah, I do too. He's the Alicia, where he's, like, irresponsible with his sexuality and eventually becomes the moral compass of the group. So he is sort of the fifth misfit once that Seth leaves. And then there's a very sad episode where Curtis gets caught up in uh, uh, the tangled machinations of a woman who, in the lightning storm, got stuck in character as, like, a Black Widow murderess. And it results in... Curtis accidentally getting infected with his own zombie virus and having to take his own life. Uh, it's very sad. Uh, but after that, the next party is the the next episode is the White Rabbit party. Mm-hmm. And I they can't find, rewatch that. They find another of my favorite characters, Abby. Abby's fantastic. At the start, we believe that at the day of the lightning storm, she lost her memory and has no idea who she was before the storm. But what? it actually turns out as the case is that she is another girl's 
childhood imaginary friend who was brought to life by the storm. There is an episode where they have to kill the boogeyman. I don't think it'll be either of our favorite episodes. So. It's a good episode, though. It is good. And it's quality, like, horror. Short form horror. Yes. Her her and the girl who created her find each other. And they're so enamored with each other that they begin, they begin an intense lesbian relationship until <laughs> they eventually figure out who they are to each other. And then uh, she just goes, oh, no. I thought that I was just a lesbian who lost my memory in the storm, but I think I'm your imaginary friend come to life. And then the girl goes, I think you should stop eating me out now. Yeah, at one point they, they're looking for her and they show up at her house and it's just the girl sitting on her face when they open the door. I really like Abby. She is a silly little bitch. She falls in love with a turtle who is a guy who got turned into a turtle. And is immediately killed by Satan. Yes, as, as soon as she get, turns him into a human, and there's like, all right, well, we're going to figure this out. We'll have Alex take your power away. And then, like, they walk into the next room, Satan's there, and Satan turns him inside out. So it's <laughs> so brutal. But it's at the end of, like, a multi-episode arc where... So Alex gets stabbed in the finale of season four, where they have a nun who can summon the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And when he goes to the hospital, he gets a lung transplant. And so he gets a new power where he can take people's powers away, but he has to fuck them to do it. So he has to learn how to use that heroically. But there's a great multi-arc bit where she keeps asking him to fuck her turtle to turn him back into a man. And he's just like, I'm not going to fuck the turtle. And then there's one episode where he has to help you if you if you ask him for help or else it'll feel like he's drowning. And so she gets him to try and fuck the turtle and he goes, if I fuck the turtle to death, I'm not liable for that. <laughs> and she goes, well, maybe you could just come on a shell. And he goes, it doesn't work like that. He ends up not fucking the turtle. He could not go through with it. But So that's the final five are Rudy, Finn, Jess... Alex and Abby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I honestly think that those last two seasons, uh, people I think kind of give the show eh, like once the original cast is gone, but I think season four and five are really good as well. I think five is better than four. I agree. Although there are some very good episodes. I really, I like the white rabbit episode and I love, I love the case. The case full of money episode is wacky as shit. Okay, tell me, tell tell our audience about it. So that's the first episode of season four. The two new people show up to the probation thing, and they think that Rudy is their probation worker. But what's actually happening is while they're waiting for the probation worker to come after they killed the last one, a man wanders in with a case full of money handcuffed to his wrist. And he, on the day of the storm, uh, killed a bunch of people in a drug deal and took the case for himself. And so now anyone he touches uh, is infected with like an ultimate desire to have this case and will do anything for it. And so Curtis, Seth, and Rudy all get infected with this. And they walk in in the middle of the three of them torturing this guy and each other to try to get the case and the combination (laughs) to the case. And so... At some point, Rudy sawed the guy's hand off. 
but then lost the case because he had to leave the room and the guy hid the case from him. And Rudy too saw all this happen, so he knows where the case is. Uh, Curtis tries to get them to turn on each other, so instead they drug his drink and lock him in a freezer <laughs> because they think Curtis has the combination. And so Seth is torturing a one-handed man by uh, smashing up his genitals in order to get him to tell them where the case is while Rudy is torturing uh, Curtis in a freezer to get reveal the combination when he doesn't actually know it. And then <laughs> these two walk in on this and are trying to figure this out and then they get infected and it ends up with all of them on the roof fighting over this and then the guy falls off and it breaks the curse and they're all... It's, I don't know. It's a very silly-ass episode. <laughs> and then the White Rabbit episode, uh, there's a kid whose acid trips come to life, including a murderous white rabbit. Uh, but that's where they find Abby, and they have a weird party. And My favorite episode from that season is Rudy 3. Rudy 3 is such a good episode. It's... So, do you want to explain it? And I'll just... Would you like hey, you explain it, and I'll just offer my thoughts. I'll give the short version so you can jump in with some thoughts. Uh, we find out that Rudy 1 and Rudy 2 are not the only manifestations of Rudy. There's also a third Rudy, which is basically like all of Rudy's darkest thoughts turned into a guy. And very early on, they were worried about what Rudy 3 would do because... I, there's actually a very funny scene where they just they talk about what he went to jail for and uh he says you've been a man's ear off and he goes well he wasn't listening to me and what's the point of having ears if you're not going to listen and he goes well then you also bit off his nose and he just goes that was for the slapstick of it or something like that <laughs> and so they conspired to put rudy three in jail it's the most morbid humor yes they they sent him out to go get uh I forget what they're called, but a certain kind of candy bar for them and then call the cops on him while he's out. And so when he gets out of jail, he shows up with the candy bars they sent him out for and he traps, Rudy 3 traps Rudy 1 and 2 inside of him and he sort of assumes their life and he starts stalking Jess and at the same time he's doing the whole like, I'm a dark broody man who tells the truth and like... Oh, it's very seductive. It's very seductive, particularly to Jess who... Her whole thing is she hates bullshit. It's why she has x-ray vision. And so Rudy 3 is very refreshing to her. And it's... Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so... <laughs> so... There's a very good scene where they're having this, like, kind of seductive, honest, raw conversation. She asks them why he was in jail. And he said, because I like to hurt people. And then... The DJ for an upcoming party um, plays music that that's like irritating to him, and so he says, "Excuse me for a moment." And he walks into that room, and then Jess uses her X-ray vision to just watch him like beat this man to death. Yeah, I don't think the guy died, but yes, he like savagely beats this DJ. Yeah. Uh I'm going to give you a slight correction, not because it needs to be corrected, but because it matters to one of the few fat jokes I've ever laughed at in my life. Okay. It's it's not a party, it's a wedding. And we know because someone stole the wedding cake. 
and they're they're the new probation workers and telling the offensive jokes again. I don't think this one's terrible. I think it's funny, <laughs> and I'm fat, so I'm allowed to share this one. Uh, and Not really that fat. <laughs> I am. I'm a big boy. Um, the probation workers interrogated them over who stole the wedding cake, and Rudy Three is insistent that the bride just ate it herself because she's fat. And then um, after he leaves, Curtis goes, "Okay, but seriously, who stole the wedding cake?" And Rudy Three just goes. All I know is that it must have been a fat person because they have low morals, uh, poor impulse control, and they fucking love cake. And his <laughs> delivery of they fucking love cake is like, I don't know why, but it makes me fucking laugh every time. It's ridiculous. <laughs> he goes on some tirades in that episode. You and I were talking about this about because this is also the um, the episode where Ben gets a blowjob from his stepmom, and it's gross. And the group confronts him about this. And um, God, what does he say? He, he's just like viciously playing this man alive, talking about you did it because you're weak and you enjoyed her warm wet mouth. Well, he starts by saying, he's like, because he, uh, Thin is like, well, she just started sucking my cock. I couldn't stop her. And, like, he's making all these excuses. And he's doing this thing that Finn does a lot, especially in season four, where he, like, doesn't ever tell the truth. And he never is upfront about anything. He just tries to tell people what he thinks will get him in the least amount of trouble. And he is typically wrong about that. But, um... He's doing that again about how he couldn't stop her. And Rudy interjects and goes, if you wanted to stop her, you could have stabbed her in the eye with a fork or something like that. <laughs> and it's like, you could have done any number of things to stop her. But yeah, and then what you said where it's like you enjoyed her warm, wet mouth or something. And like, yeah, and you're a wink and a coward. And like, he was sexy. <laughs> but he does that. And so as he starts pursuing Jess, and he's very honest with her. At some point, she asks him, why me? And he says, well, I've always wanted to know what it's like to kill somebody. And when I saw you, I knew you were the one. Yes. And so he tries to strangle her to death. She stabs him with a pair of scissors and agrees to kiss him if he lets Rudy one and two go before dying. Mm -hmm. And he does. Yeah. And then as he's dying, he asks her what it's like what it felt like to kill somebody and she says it's awful and he goes where's the fun in that then or something like that yeah it is all this and like it is portrayed as like a, a very sad death um for for jess i agree i think she kind of liked him she did well and i think that's blind by like we're getting into it for next season but she does eventually end up with Rudy. He, Rudy Three, as he's dying, makes her promise to go out and get a bunch of cock. <laughs> because the thing she confessed is that she had an eating disorder, and the person she lost her virginity to, it turns out he was sort of like a serial monogamist who liked broken girls. And after sleeping with her, he moved on to the next girl. And it made her distrusting, and she hasn't slept with anybody after that. And he's like, well, go out and get some cock. It's funny, and 
they sort of have, I think, this understanding of each other. Because even he asks her what it feels like to kill someone. And she says, uh, it feels awful. And he believes her. Like, they have gotten to a point where, like, they only tell each other the truth. And yeah. so I think he, it's genuinely a letdown for him to find out that it doesn't feel good to kill somebody. If it were not for the stepmom thing being kind of unbearable to watch, that would, I think, be the best episode in the series. Yeah. That is definitely, I think, the best storyline. Yeah, I agree. My So my favorite storyline from season four, I think, would be the case, which we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so season five has an overarching plot. Uh, Rudy 2 starts, not starts, he joins a support group for people with who are affected by the storm, run by an old woman who can knit the future. <laughs> and it's, int- it's attended by video game, the guy who's stuck in a video game and a few other people. And one of the sweaters that uh, Future Knitting Lady gives to Rudy 2 is uh, him with an assembly of three superheroes who like actually become real superheroes. And so he gets sort of hellbent on finding it's someone who can fly, someone who can camouflage themselves, and someone with electrical powers to form a superhero team. Mm-hmm. And then while he's doing this, everyone else is sort of living their lives. Alex is trying to learn how to use his fuck powers responsibly. Um, Jess is developing feelings for Rudy. Rudy's trying to figure out a way to tell Finn about that. Finn is not really growing as a person. Finn sucks. Honestly, Finn's best interactions are at the end of season four. There is a, uh, a Boy Scout group leader who is a servant of satan and his power is that with a latin incantation he can make other people servants of satan and uh finn kills the guy and becomes the new servant of satan and in order to make it go away alex has to fuck him and their new their the final probation worker walks in on that and he is a closeted gay man and he falls in love with Finn because he thinks that Finn is gay and that it was a consensual sex act. See, that the the beauty of that episode where the probation worker falls in love with Finn is the probation worker. Yes, I agree. But it's it's the probation that probation worker is so unhinged. funny. Oh my god, he is unhinged, but somehow understandable. Like you don't He's understand. Just angry. He's angry and intense, but he's it's not even like he's a hard ass because he doesn't follow through on his threats. He just says angry things at them. And like, uh, I love his part of the flash forward where he falls with one of the guys Rudy meets. Actually, Finn meets him in the support group is a guy who's literally trapped in the closet. So he is gay, but he is not out. And if anyone asks him if he is gay or if he ever denies he is gay or says no he is teleported to the nearest closet which is hilarious because <laughs> he's trying to be in the closet but anytime he says anything about not being gay he's teleported to a closet that guy eventually he goes to alex thinking like hey will you have sex with me so that i don't do this anymore and alex says something i think lovely and profound to him and he says am i having sex with you because you don't want to have this power anymore or because you're not gay and you don't want this power to uh, keep bothering you or am I having sex with you because you are gay and you don't want anyone to know Mm -hmm. 
And so instead of having sex with him, the guy just leaves and tries to come to terms with his own sexuality and eventually figures it out on his own. And it's really nice. And when he meets up with Alex again, Alex is like, hey, how are you doing? He goes, I'm actually doing really great. And then they like hug and he's like, I'm so happy to hear that for you. It's nice. Anyway, uh, at the party where they're all taking ecstasy, the probation worker takes some and dances with the closeted guy on the dance floor Ecstasy reverses their powers. Yes, we find this out in season two. But if you take ecstasy, it reverses your power. Um, so for, uh, like, so for instance, for Jess can see through walls. When she takes ecstasy, it makes her blind. Uh, Alex can fuck people's powers away. When he takes ecstasy, it gives people powers. Uh, and this ends tragically because he gives all of the powers he's taken away to one woman who he really likes and so she becomes like a satanic bitch with hypnotic tits satanic bitch with hypnotic tits who can turn people inside out and then her downfall is the first power he took away is a woman who is supernaturally accident prone so he throws a banana peel at her and she (laughs) slips on it and cracks her head open and dies um but so the probation worker is dancing with him and in the one year flash forward they walk in on them having sex in the closet and he comes out to them while they're covered in blood holding baseball bats hunting down the uh the supervillains but so the final episode culminates in um jess oh god this was kind of terrible ends up with a guy whose power is he can fast he can throw you forward in time and or backward. I think he can only reset. I don't think he can throw you backwards. I think he can reset to the point where he previously threw you forward. Yeah, okay. So he he has sex with Jess. And when she tries to leave, he says, no, we're going to be together forever. And she's like, no. And he's like, well, you don't decide that. I decide that. And so he throws her forward in time to where they already have a kid together. And he says that he's done this with several women in order to make them fall in love with him. And it's never worked before, but Jess is different or whatever. So in the one year fast forward, she goes and finds everybody. And uh, the superhero group that Rudy 2 put together has basically become megalomaniacs that just like indiscriminately murder anyone, including like litter bugs. Yeah. Or people who are just kind of rude to them. So much so that like when they have to go bury a body, they mention that they've run out of room under the underpass. And she goes, all right, we'll just have to start doubling them up in the graves then. It's brutal. Um, A big fight ensues. A bunch of people die. And then so she tricks the guy. She, trigger warning for self-harm, she cuts her wrists in order to trick time travel guy into resetting the loop again. But she recorded a message on her phone to tell her what the guy was going to do. So she kills him before he can do that to her again. And then she warns them not to like form the superhero group and stuff. And the show ends with uh, them all deciding that they're going to try to use their powers more responsibly. And a second supernatural storm starts brewing in the sky. Dun, dun, dun. But uh, show was canceled. Never came back. Yeah. And uh, I mentioned this before we started recording, but in the grand tradition of Sarah J. Moss, even though we're not living Moss this month, 
we don't want to miss out on all the aspects of the era of living loss. And uh, because of that, I just want to say in that final episode, Rudy pisses himself in a heroic act of self-sacrifice. Not only that, it is a running bit that he was a bed bedwetter until he was like a teenager. Yeah. And even sometimes does it as an adult. But because of the split, that aspect of his personality goes to Rudy too. And so Rudy too is the bedwetter. And what's oh, this is so funny. And the and the final fight, they're fighting the electricity girl. Rudy and Rudy too make up and they decide to join back up again. And they announce that together they're stronger than uh <laughs> They were separately, and so. But what they mean by that is, uh, Rudy essentially gets her to electrocute him, and then Rudy too makes them pee themselves, and they pee themselves so vigorously that the pee dribbles all the way to Electric Girl, so that she electrocutes herself. It's really dumb and stupid and funny. I love it. It's really good. Um, let's. I think that's basically everything. We're gonna wrap up on a couple notes here. I'm going to have a short, I've already brought up some issues with Sunny's Scooter's Soapbox Corner. Uh, the way that time travel works is inconsistent. Yeah. That's all I want to say. It's inconsistent. Figure it out. Uh, okay. The other thing, the organ transplants. They establish that if you get an organ transplant from a person with a power, you inherit their power. When hippie guy who can teleport gets murdered, his heart goes into um, Curtis's new girlfriend, and so she gains the ability to teleport. Same thing. Alex doesn't have a power. He gets his power because when he gets stabbed, he gets a lung transplant from a guy who has the fuck your powers away power. But, so if one got a heart and one got lungs, presumably when someone dies, all of their organs to go to somebody, does it duplicate the powers? Is there someone else with a heart and someone else with a liver who can also fuck powers away? Just think about it. You're really blasting my baja here. I'm really what? Blasting my baja. Oh, blasting your baja. Some, here's, here's the thing I really want to talk about. So here's something you should sit with in the reality <laughs> of the show. We get two facts confirmed definitively for us. In the final episode of season three, they bring back three ghosts from the dead, one of whom was a very conservative Christian, and she tells them definitively, in this universe, there is no God. Okay. There we go. Fact. There is no God. However, in season four, they meet some Boy Scouts. Oh, the Satanic Boy Scouts. Yes. Which confirms that there is a Satan. Mm-hmm. I find that interesting. There is no God, but there is a Satan in this war in this universe. I think that's why the world is so dark. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I so last thing on my soapbox corner. <laughs> it's not a logistical fallacy, but it's something that I think it's my least favorite trope in TV shows. The show sometimes relies a little too much on easily avoidable misunderstandings be it you know there are two rudies there's one episode where they deal with a shapeshifter there's episodes where they have invisible people camouflaged people uh people who can read minds and stuff and so there are so many plot points where like rudy too will be nice to somebody 
and then that person will go talk to Rudy One and they'll be a dick. And then this just causes all kinds of drama because they're like, so you were just lying to me when you were nice to me and stuff. And like... Yeah, and there are people that know of the existence of Rudy too. <laughs> yes. And the one that drives me a little crazy is when they deal with the shapeshifter, they know there's weird stuff happening and none of them are willing to suspend their disbelief that like weird stuff is happening. That's it. I think that's basically everything, baby, unless you've got something. No, I think that's it. I really love this show as sort of a comfort watch. I don't often watch the last two seasons. Um, Generally, my time or interest peters out before then. Um, Mainly because I dislike Finn so much in season four. I just don't really enjoy it enough. After having the... We've watched i think seasons one through three many times mm-hmm. i think we prior to this we'd seen season four and five once each now that i've seen it twice and i i know them well enough to pick out good parts i would probably return to later seasons but just cherry pick the stuff i like avoid the fin heavy episodes yeah i agree i agree with that yeah this was i think i think it's a good comfort christmas this is one where like when we have a christmas break if we're just like what do you want to watch we just we have the whole day to ourselves you know We'll throw on Misfits. Yeah. This is a fun cold weather binge watch for us. Do you have a PSA corner for us, Sonny? I don't know. What would you like the people to do better? Here's one. Look. You don't have to be good at it. But you should definitely try and do some kind of art. You could do music or painting or drawing or even like kind of the craftier sides of arts. So like knitting or crochet or sewing, whatever. Because even if you're bad at it, the act of creation is good for you. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Let's see, what's my PSA going to be? Obviously, as always, look out for your local apex predator. Keep the environment clean. Take care of all aspects of the food chain. It's how we protect the top. It's by taking care of the bottom. I know. I saw a thing today. If you if you were low on energy, what would you say? Me? Yeah. I'm tired. You would say you're tired? Yeah, I'm tired. Interesting. Why? Apparently, tops say I'm tired and bottoms say I'm sleepy. I think that relies a little bit on other things, like what kind of top or bottom you are. Because, like, I feel like... That's something that, well, I don't want to get into specific kinks. Fair enough. I'm sleepy, though, is like a, oh, I'm real cute kind of thing. And not, I'm either, like, very good or an absolute menace to society. I guess, yeah, that's fair. I guess I asked the question wrong, because I think it's specifically in reference to, like, if you're tired or sleep, if you're ready for bed. Would you describe that as being tired or sleepy? As always, I will never apologize. And this one has been for the himbos, the bimbos, and the thembos. We love all of you.